Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC Kansas City, Max Blessed Holloway versus Arnold Allen. And it's going down this Saturday night live at the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City, Missouri. You got arguably one of the top three greatest featherweights of all time. Not arguably, one of the <laughs> top three greatest featherweights of all time, Max Blessed Holloway. I mean... It's it's easy to say putting his title on the line. He's not even the champ, but like he's like one of those like uncrowned champs, even if he's lost to Volk three times, because every single time he fights, it's always such high stakes. There's always title implications, and he's a legend of the division and the sport. Taking on Arnold Almighty Allen. When's the last time y'all saw a guy get off to a nice little 10 and 0 start uh to his UFC career? Not often. I mean, I know Connor. Went nine and one in his first 10 fights. I know that Yoel Romero went nine and one in his first 10 UFC fights. And I know James Vick went nine and one in his first uh, 10 UFC fights. But to go 10 and 0 in your first 10, hey, that's pretty damn impressive. So there's a reason these two are in the main event. So we're going to get right down to business. We're going to break down the main event and then every single fight on the card and the whole bit. So, real quick, just a little housekeeping note. So the reason this show came out so late, um, unfortunately, you know, late last week, I started getting really sick. Um, I ended up testing positive for COVID, which I didn't even know was still a thing. And apparently it is still a thing. And it kicked my ass. Not as bad as last time, but still kicked my ass. So if I'm a little short of breath. That's why. Um, but no matter what, the show must go on. I wasn't going to leave the fans hanging. So I appreciate I appreciate y'all's patience. And uh Let's get down to business. So the main event of the evening in the featherweight division, we got Max Blessed Holloway, the former champ. He's 23 and seven, the future Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, taking on Arnold Almighty, Almighty Allen, who is 19 and one representing the UK. Currently, they got it. Just depends where you look. Max Holloway minus 185. The comeback on Arnold Allen is plus 150. So where do we begin i mean this fight is unbelievable for a variety of reasons um when you talk about record-breaking output you talk about max holloway i mean look at the numbers that this guy puts up man we'll get to the cater fight in a second but look at these last three these last shit look god damn it. i was gonna say these last three fights and then it's these last four last five let's just talk about these last few fights last one against volk where you know volk beat the shit out of max Max still went out there and landed 127 significant strikes. That's more than Arnold Allen's landed in any fight. The fight against Yair, Max lands 230 significant strikes. The fight against uh, Calvin Cater, which uh, was the record-breaking output um, performance of Max Holloway. Listen to this. This dude goes out there and he lands 445 significant strikes. He attempts 746 strikes. Like, Jesus Christ, that, that's the record. Second fight against Volk, 102 significant strikes landed. First fight against Volk, 134 significant strikes. Against uh, Frankie Edgar, 129. Against Dustin Poirier in ATL, 181. Against Brian Ortega, 290. Against Jose Aldo, 174. Against Jose Aldo the time before, 104. And then he went under the 100 mark against Pettis because he got him out of there. Went, it went, but it was only 94, which is like not, nothing to, 
you know, to scoff at. And then prior to that against Ricardo Lamas, 103. So basically what I'm trying to say is since 2016, this guy has consistently put up over 100 significant strikes every single fight with the exception of the Pettis fight, which was 94 significant strikes. And had Pettis been able to survive a couple more seconds, it would have passed the 100 significant strike uh, mark. So, I mean, the output is not a concern. Max Holloway has literally the best output in the history of the sport. But on the flip side of that, I, I, I can't just give one-sided information. The output's insane, the pressure, the cardio, all that. But he absorbs a lot of shots. He's one of these guys that he's got like that old school BJ pension. Like y'all remember for the longest time, the talk with BJ Penn, you know, another Hawaiian warrior, another Hawaiian Hall of Famer, another Hawaiian, and this time double champ because uh BJ Penn won belts at lightweight and at welterweight. And this dude BJ Penn was out here fighting Machida at heavyweight. You understand what I'm saying? So I mean the 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 Hawaiian Hall of Famers are just built different. But the reason I bring that up is because so I mentioned the output of Holloway, which is just record breaking, but he also absorbs a shit ton of strikes too. Um, and some of the most, just like his contemporary BJ Penn against Calvin Cater, absorbed 133 significant strikes. Against Volk the last time, 137. Against Volk the time prior, 157. Against Frankie Edgar, 96. Against Dustin Poirier, 178. Against Brian Ortega, 110. So I'm just saying, like, these dudes, uh, Max will give one to take one. No, no questions asked. And I guess a lot of people are wondering, like, when's his chin going to finally go? Um, but, like, back to the BJ Penn talk, it was always a thing of, you know, BJ Penn's big, like, one of his big talking points was, like, never been knocked down, never been knocked out until he was finally knocked down and knocked out uh, by Yair Rodriguez. A similar uh, common opponent with Max. Max had a, an amazing five-round fight with Yair Rodriguez. It was a 48-47. And I will say this real quick, that Max uh, did not cover his price tag in the Yair fight. He was like minus 600 to minus 800 or something like that. And um, don't get me wrong. Don't take anything away from that amazing fight. That's It was a war. It was insane. But Max is out here absorbing way too many. At what point does that add up? Is it this weekend? Is it the next fight? Does it never happen? Does he retire before it happens? Lots of questions. And then with Arnold Allen, the, the output is not going to match Max Holloway. So let's just get that out the way. But he's got some other slick techniques and tendencies that he's able to use. He's able to kind of slow the fight down a little bit. He's a guy that can kind of pick his spots and fight in bursts. Um, you know, a lot of people like to refer to him, you know, what he did to Dan Hooker, how he just, you know, he went full. Uh, oh, I'm not allowed to use the R word anymore, but, you know, from that one movie, when you they say uh, he went full this, don't ever go full this. I'm not trying to get canceled, but you all know what I'm talking about. Um, he's able to fight in bursts. Like if he smells blood, he's going to go after it. And I've noticed that in a lot of his other fights, like, when you see his outputs kind of low, it's because he's very technically sound. He's very defensively sound. Actually, if you look at the striking defense for Arnold Allen, I mean, it's 67%. He's nearly, he nearly defends 70% of the strikes that come his way. So that's a really interesting thing for his opponents to deal with that. Like, hey, like this dude, unlike Holloway, 
he doesn't get hit that much. He's very, very hard to hit. Um, as proven by his numbers, you know, strikes absorbed, only two, 2.25 strikes absorbed per minute. And, and the thing about that is it's easy to say that when a dude has like a two fight sample size, right? But we're dealing with a guy who, who's had 10 UFC fights and, and, and that's where his numbers are at. So, so the output is not going to match Holloway, but the defense is there. And what I'm trying to wonder here is with his counter striking ability, you know, he's a very cerebral guy. Is he going to be able to kind of land the harder shots? And at what point, um, you know, at what point does Max finally get cracked where it's like, maybe not necessarily goes down, but maybe you see that wobble. And we saw that wobble back in the day against Dustin Poirier in Atlanta, Georgia, but Dustin Poirier, you know, one of the most prolific knockout artists in the history of the sport. I mean, I think he's tied with Drew Dober for most knockouts um, in lightweight history. And you also got to understand Dustin had a run at featherweight prior where he was knocking dudes out there too. So, you know, the fact that Dustin couldn't knock him out with the amount of, with the amount of shots that Dustin landed on him, it's crazy. What I really like about Arnold Allen, there's a lot of things I like about him. Um, firstly, firstly, both these guys have been money machines. I know that in more recent times, you all have seen me bet on Allen a lot, but I've been betting on both these guys for a long, long time. Um, but what I like about Allen is that oftentimes when you see a guy who's a southpaw, and you think about like, okay, what kind of kicks do southpaws often use? They often use that um, that liver kick, that you know, left that that left kick to the liver, because usually when it's southpaw versus orthodox, the the opportunity for the liver kick is open for the southpaw fighter. But something that's really interesting that Arnold Allen does is he attacks these outside calf kicks, which is something you don't really often see from southpaw. So that's something very unique that he does, and we know that. Uh, Max Holloway isn't really in the business of checking kicks, right? So there will be kick openings for Arnold Allen. There will be big counter openings for Arnold Allen. It's just about, you know, if you aren't the first guy to knock out Max Holloway in the early going, what's going to happen as this fight progresses? Because there has been talk about, well, Arnold did slow down in the Sodiq Yusuf fight. And, that, and that's 100% factual. That's not something I can debate. But I am going to put context into that. And the context I'm going to put into that is that fight with Sodiq Yusuf was a very grueling fight. A lot of clinch exchanges, takedowns, a lot of grappling. And um, those kind of fights are going to tax you, man. I don't see this being that kind of, you know, a lot of clinching, a lot of takedowns. Like I said, a lot of grappling, submission attempts, this and that. I see this more so being... <laughs> You know, grueling in the sense that if Max Holloway still has, I know he still has the ridiculous output, but if he's not deterred or compromised by the counters coming back at him, he's still going to be it in Arnold Allen's face come third, fourth, fifth round. And that's where the output can kind of start to, you know, to really take over. So I feel like when we look at the box score at the end of this fight, you know, assuming that there hasn't been a knockout. Like, let's say it goes all five rounds, right? I definitely think that uh, Max Holloway is going to be, like, up on the strikes. I definitely think the strike differential is going to be a big one. It's just a matter of can this at all go kind of like Cheeto versus Rob Font, where Rob Font had the big output and volume edge, but Cheeto landed those harder shots and had the bigger moments. Maybe now 
you start to see Max Holloway wobble a bit more. Maybe now's the first time he gets dropped. I don't know if it is. I'm just saying you can't discount those possibilities. And in Arnold Allen's last fight against Calvin Cater, I don't think he gets the respect he deserves for that performance. Now, of course, it's very unfortunate that it ended with an injury. 100%. That sucks. I would have loved to see how it would have played out. But I heard people talking about how that was a uh, a 50-50 first uh, round and then Calvin Cater blew his knee out. Like That's total bullshit. That was not a 50-50 first round. Let me explain what I mean. In round one, Arnold Allen outstruck Calvin Cater 27 to 14. As far as headshots are concerned, Arnold Allen outstruck Calvin Cater 21 to 5. How is 27 to 14 on significant strikes and 21 to 5 on head strikes? How is that a 50 50 round? It's, it's not a 50-50 round. Uh, Arnold clearly won that first round. And I had a bet on Arnold in that spot. And, of course, you, you know you don't want to win with an injury. And, and you don't want to see a guy that we respect so much like Calvin Cater you know, have to sit out a year with a torn ACL or whatever the case is. But as someone who had money on it, I was literally smiling the entire time, like until the injury, because you don't want to see that. But I'm saying the performance up until the injury, I was smiling. I thought it was beautiful. I was like, wow. I was like, yes, Arnold, you know? And I feel, I feel like I find myself saying that a lot when I see him fight, you know? And back to the, uh, the, the defense, I'm very curious, you know, because 67% strike defense and only absorbing 2.25 per minute. When you have a 10 fight sample size in the octagon, that that's nothing to scoff at, man. So yeah, the output the, the output is gonna 100% go to max, just like it tends to always go to max. It's just that what what are max reactions gonna be like to to, to Arnold's counters? So I definitely think Arnold is gonna get off in the early going. Um, it just begs the question: What happens late? And I'm not fully sold that Arnold's gonna just fall apart as, as the fight progresses. Like I really. Um, I'm kind of bullish on my point that the Sodiq Yusuf fight, which, by the way, was a very high-level rising prospect fight or rising contender, whatever you want to call it. I'm very bullish on the fact that there was that was just a different fight. That that was, you know, clinching. Like I said, all that clinching up against the fence, like it might not look the most exciting to the untrained eye, but like it's very grueling. It's very taxing. And when you're in there, like I said, with a with a Nigerian, you know, you know what kind of firepower and you know what kind of strength. So the use it brings to the table, that shit's going to gas you out. Is the output, the pace, and the pressure of Max Holloway going to gas out Arnold Allen? Big question. So, and then also, you know, Max coming off the title fight loss. I always talk about it when they, when they lose, you know, when they lose their opportunity to be champ, you know, they, they sometimes don't come back as motivated, but that's kind of speculative. You know, I, I'm not one because when you're talking about the greats and Max Holloway is one of the greats, they can surprise you time after time after time. So, you know, a vintage performance is not going to surprise me here. But what would surprise me is like that performance Max had against Cater where he broke the record. Like, I, I just think that Arnold Allen is too defensively sound to have those kind of numbers landed on him. Whereas going into the Cater fight, the the Max and Cater fight, like we already knew that Cater gets pieced up early in a lot of his fights. Look at the Jeremy Stevens fight. Look at the Shane Burgos fight. So just saying that I think Arnold Allen is a lot more defensively sound than a guy like Calvin Cater. Um, it just comes down to 
what kind of early lead Allen gets to, and is there really going to be that drop off? And then from there, is Max still operating like the Max we all know and love? So to me, it's a tough fight to call because you can make confident points for both the output difference the the cardio difference for max holloway you can you got a point you gotta you gotta bring that up but then you also bring up the the amount of strikes that this man absorbs i mean i think he holds the record for it at what point does it finally go um you know we thought like i said with bj penn who has never been knocked down never been knocked out until he got knocked down and knocked out is that going to be the case here i don't know it's hard to say but then back to you know us being gamblers I mean, this open minus 145 for Max. So Vegas is giving Max, I mean, Vegas is giving Arnie respect. Um, po, uh, uh, so, some sharp action did come in on Max and steam it a little bit. Sharp action that I respect. But again, that doesn't intimidate me. Um, it, it To me, it just comes down to like when I don't really know what's going to happen and I feel like there's so many different ways this fight could play out. I like the number on Arnold Allen. I really do. I like that plus 150. I even missed a plus 175 earlier in the week. So I might be really willing to roll the dice here, but I'm not going to disrespect a future Hall of Famer in Max Holloway, a legend, someone we all look up to, someone we all just admire. We love watching him. Um, you know, he's got a serious history in the sport. He's He's a record breaker, you know, and if there's anyone that can make another title run after being – you know, derailed that many times, it is a guy like Max Holloway. So you have to show this man his respect. Um, but I think Arnold Allen's a guy that's been flying under the radar for years. I think he's very well-rounded. Like I said, I think he's cerebral, trains with the right people, doesn't have a huge ego, um, and is very technically and defensively sound. So that's the interesting part here. Like I said, at the end of this fight, assuming that no one's been finished early, the box score is going to say that the significant strike, like Max Holloway is going to outland Ar uh, Arnold Allen, assuming that no one like gets stopped early, right? Like I'm, I'm saying over a long sample size. But what are the quality of the strikes that Allen lands going to look like compared to Holloway? Is Holloway going to start being more susceptible to being rocked these days? Is he, is he going to start getting cut more um, motivation-wise? Where is he at? Um, he's been saying this week, y'all must have forgot. I didn't forget. I think this guy... I mean, I can't say enough good things about Max. So, again, it's no disrespect to Max. Um, it's just more so I'm kind of willing to take plus 150 on Arnold against any featherweight except Volkanovski. So, for that reason, I'm going to go with Arnold Allen. But, you know, I can't sit here. And like I said, I'm not going to disrespect a legend. I'm not going to be arrogant. It's just I like the number. So, and historically speaking, like when you've lost that many title fights in a row, what are the chances of you getting back to of you getting back to to the belt and we know max's style he's going to go forward he's going to pressure like i know um in the press conferences and all that he's very humble but when he gets in the cage that's when the cockiness and the competitor comes out and that's when he fucks with his opponents mentally and, and he plays games in there like when he was with ortega showing ortega how to defend how to, putting his hand up getting him the block and you know, against Ricardo Lamas pointing down to the mat, that historic moment against Jose Aldo putting his hands up like Nick Diaz. Like, Max is a nice guy out of the cage, but in the cage, he is not a nice guy at all. This guy, he's a bad, bad boy. And the same thing with Arnold Allen. Like, he'll, he's, he kind of has a little Cheeto Vera to him, but he's much more technically sound. 
but he's got the Cheeto Vera in the sense that he's he's kind of got that chill, 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 kill, kill, kill. When he smells blood, he swarms guys. Um, so man, amazing fight, just great matchmaking. Like I said, I'm I'm gonna take Arnold because um, I like the number on him, but you won't catch me disrespecting a legend like Max Holloway, one of the best. You know, the, the debate is between Max Volk and Jose Aldo. I know some people think Connor, but I don't think Connor was around long enough at Featherweight to uh, be in the conversation, despite how amazing his accomplishments were at that weight class uh, early on. I just would have liked to see him maybe defend the belt or, and stick around longer, but those weight cuts were getting brutal. So to me, the top three Featherweights are, are, are Volk, or excuse me, are Aldo, Volk, and, and uh, Max. So I'm gonna go Arnold for the upset, but you know, it's all respect to the legend, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I could see it go either way. I just like the number on Arnold, and that's it. Co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Edson Barboza. He's 22 and 11, taking on. Um, Dude said Connor never defend the bell. He can't be top three. Nah, he, he's not in my top three. But anyways, t- uh, Edson's taking on Billy Q, who's seventeen and four. Uh, currently, they got it. Billy Q minus one seventy. The comeback on Edson Barboza's plus one forty five. So, man, a few years ago, a few years ago, Edson would have been a big favorite in this spot. You know, Edson obviously one of the most dynamic kickers in the in, in the history of the sport. And it's cool uh, that in, in this fight card, we got three insane kickers, Edson, Chris Gutierrez, Pedro Munoz. Um, so you love to see it. But, man, I mean, here's the thing. Billy Q is one of these guys that, like, will take the ass whooping up front. Um, but if you if you show Billy Q any kind of weakness, if you start to slow down against a guy like Billy Q, he will absolutely drown you in a way where you're like, What's it going to take to stop this guy? He's like the guy you hit with a baseball bat and, and he just keeps walking forward. Um, and there's a similar guy to that named Zach Cummings who's also on the card. So Billy Q is an attritional fighter. Billy Q has insane cardio, insane durability, and you really have to compromise this man. The thing is, I think Edson will compromise him early. You know, Billy tends to drop the first round in a lot of his fights. And whenever I bet on Billy Q, he loses against Gavin Tucker, which I thought was, you know, his chance to break into the top 15. He kind of blew it uh, against Shane Burgos. I don't want to say he blew it against Burgos because that was an incredible fight. And the dude fought his fucking heart out. But one big weapon that Burgos used against Billy Q were the calf kicks. And you guys know who's got who's one of the best kickers uh, in the sport, Edson Barboza. It's just at distance, Edson Barboza is going to absolutely light up Billy Q. It's just what happens when Billy Q keeps pressing forward, we know that Edson is not as comfortable on the back foot. So to me, it's about when when Billy's absorbing these shots, like what kind of compromise are we dealing with? Like are his calves going to be just completely shot to where he can't push off them and get takedowns? And um, so so it's a tough one, but like I kind of feel like like the thing with Edson, people forget is that he's 37 years old. Not that he looks bad. I mean, like, you saw him on the scales today. Dude's ripped on another level. It, it, it's just more so that, you know, we kind of have been seeing 
the pressure get to Edson in a lot of these fights, and we haven't seen that signature performance in a while. Um, but Billy is there to be hit, so that just has to be said right off the bat. And these odds a year or two ago would have been absolutely insane. So while I lean Billy Q, because I think that you know third time is going to be the charm for him to get that opportunity to finally break into the top fifteen and finally have his big moment. Um, it's going to be contingent on a lot of things. It's going to be contingent on, you know, his calves not being so shot that, you know, this guy just can't keep pushing forward because Billy's going to have to walk through the fire. And that's the bottom line. Cause if he stands at distance with Edson Barbosa, uh, pobrecito, you know what I'm saying? He's in deep shit. If he stands at distance with Edson Barbosa, but if he can pressure him, even if he can't get those takedowns early on, if he can keep, you know, attempting them over and over again and then eventually get one. One thing I've noticed about Edson's game over the years, you know, his initial takedown defense is good, but once you finally do get him down, doesn't quite have that urgency to get back up. Guy has a lot of mileage on him. Um, Chin also is is a bit suspect, you know. Uh, Bryce Mitchell dropped him, and I know you can make the argument, oh, it was just the threat of the takedown he was worried about, so he didn't expect the punch, but, I mean, I can go back to the days when Donald Cowboy Cerrone dropped him with a jab. So I wouldn't count out the power of Billy Q either. Um, you know, he has he has put some people down before, but it's attritional. It's a battle of wills. It has to he has to test the heart of Edson Barboza. Like I said, he tries to be pretty with Edson Barbosa. He tries to you throw a kick, I throw a kick, then he's fucked. He makes this that dirty Billy Q dogfight, gets right in his face, shows him no respect. And I think he can come out here and win this fight. So I'm going to go with Billy Q, but I don't like the price. I like the I like both these guys. I can't wait to watch it. I'll pick Billy Q, but it's contingent on him coming out here and executing the proper game plan because, like, let's stand and bang. Let's not, you know, have, a like, a, a distance kickboxing match with Barboza. So let's see. Featured bout in the light heavyweight division, we got Dustin Jacoby. He's eighteen and six, taking on Azamat Mirzakhanov, who's twelve and zero. And currently, they got it. Dustin Jacoby minus one sixty five. The comeback on Azamat Mirzakhanov is plus one forty. So you know, shout out to all y'all that took that like plus one seventy on Mirzakhanov. I thought that y'all, you know, y'all got the best of it, right? Um, so for sure, um. But here, it's tough because Mirzakhanov, he's got the confidence of the undefeated fighter. But I always talk about it. No one's exempt from that first L. Um, but but Mirzakhanov, he's not just a badass inside the UFC's octagon. He was a badass outside of it. I mean, he fucked up Iwan Kutalaba in a Sambo match. He knocked out Andre Muniz in like under a minute. So, you know, dude's dude's been doing his thing. Big, heavy hands. Has, you know that Russian wrestling style as well. It's just, you know, the output's kind of on the lower side. And that's where I think that a guy like Dustin Jacoby can possibly capitalize. I mean, the thing about Dustin Jacoby is, I mean, he definitely has put up the numbers, right? You Look at his last fight with Khalil, regardless of who you scored it for, Dustin still went out there in a three-round fight, landed 120 significant strikes. In his fight with Sean Alon, three-round fight, landed 153 significant strikes. So, on his contender series fight 117 so i'm just saying like the output is 100 going to go to 
Dustin Jacoby should this play out over three rounds. It's just, you know, Dustin has been knocked out before in kickboxing, you know, against Alex Pereira, amongst others. But just saying uh, it, it's hard to count out one of these undefeated Russians. And, and this is not one of the undefeated fraud Russians. This is a legit Russian. But I do kind of think that, you know, just, just the volume, the output, um, should Dustin Jacoby not be badly compromised, is probably going to be the difference. But, again, I'm not interested at this price. Um, I do think it's a dog or pass situation. So it's a pass for me. Now, also on the main card, we got a light heavyweight matchup between Iwan Kutalaba. He's 16-9, and taking on Tanner Bozer, who's making his light heavyweight debut, well, in the UFC at least, who's 20-9. and Currently, they got it. Iwan Kutalaba, minus 135, the comeback on Tanner Bozer's plus 110. So I see why a lot of people are tempted to take Bozer here at Dog Money because of the way that Iwan Kutalaba has been performing these last few fights and even the history of Iwan Kutalaba of just coming out super hard early. But, you know, if he can't get you out of there, he tends to fold as the fights, you know, progress. But I will say this. His Devin Clark fight, he showed that, you know, he can win decisions from time to time. Just needs the right opponent to do it with. Is Tanner Bozer the right opponent to do it with? Well, on one side of the coin, Tanner Bozer's grappling is absolutely atrocious. On the other side of the coin, Yuan Kutalaba's cardio, his mental, his heart isn't what I like to see. He's the definition of a bully. He's the definition of a, you know, of a front runner, right? Um, but I feel like if Ewan can fight smart here i think he can easily win this fight in the sense that like Boz bozer is wrestling is trash that's the bottom line it's just is it going to be a situation where you know iwan dominates that first round then they get back up to the feet um you know and then bozer starts kind of dragging it out and then iwan starts getting discouraged and then bozer gets him out of there um so it's tough but this is one of the fight one of the first fights in a while where i feel like iwan might actually be able to get a first round finish does he do it or not? It's tough to say. So I, I really don't know. I got a coin here. Uh, so heads for Kutalaba, tails for Bozer. Tails. I said tails for Bozer, right? I don't even fucking remember. So we're going to go Bozer to weather the early storm and uh, come back. But, I mean, this might be... I mean, this might be the fight Kudalaba gets back on track because, like I said, Bozer, like, Bozer can't wrestle, man. Um, I, I'm not even sold on Bozer's power. Like, I know he had that knockout against um, Philippe Lynch, but look at Philippe Lynch's physique in that fight and then look at his physique uh, in his subsequent fights once he started taking his, uh, you know, his Flintstone vitamins and started eating his oats and, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Started harvesting the garden of life fruits and vegetables. So it was a completely different guy that he knocked out. So if Ewan's going to ever get on, get back on track, it's going to be this one. It's just I don't trust him. I don't trust Bozer. I don't trust either of these guys. But it should be fun to watch. So I hope you all enjoy it. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Pedro Munoz, he's 19 and 7, taking on Chris Gutierrez, who's 19 and 3. Currently, they got it. 
Chris Gutierrez minus two twenty five. The comeback on Pedro Munoz is plus one eighty. So, you know, back in the day, Pedro Munoz was the hardest kicker at Bantamweight. Now we have a new hardest kicker at Bantamweight. His name is Chris Gutierrez. And uh, I have a friend who fought Chris Gutierrez and trains with uh, Pedro Munoz. His name's Cody Durden. Um, and out of this eight fight unbeaten streak that Chris Gutierrez has, my buddy Durden is the only guy that didn't lose to to Chris. Uh, Cody took the Chris fight on five days short notice after, you know, drinking beer and eating wings and went to a draw with him. So that was pretty impressive. But Pedro Munoz is not the wrestler that uh, Cody Durden is. Um, but I talked to Cody about it. Um, I mean, Cody told me basically that Pedro still got it. You know, there were concerns that Pedro has it or not. He still got it. He says that, you know, him and Pedro have some some spirited battles in the gym. So, you know, Pedro, he's still that aggressive in your face, take one to give one guy and you'll still be there. And also y'all remember, like if you shoot a sloppy takedown on a guy like Pedro Munoz, one of the best guillotines in the Bantamweight division, ask Rob Font. Um, he did. However, Cody did tell me that Chris Gutierrez, I mean, this goes without saying is the hardest kicker he's ever faced. Not just, um in a fight but also in the gym he said that the dude was the dude was big for bantamweight the dude was super tough to take down and his kicks like he said that so you know like the proper way to kick you kick with your shin right but some of the kicks they were actually the foot and he said even with the foot of chris gutierrez it was like burning <laughs> it was burning cody durden's legs he said that's how hard that guy kicks um so the thing with Pedro is he he's had a great run, but I kind of feel like the Frankie Edgar fight was a big sign of, of a step down. And what I mean by that is this, even though I actually scored that fight for Pedro Munoz and at the time I thought he got robbed, y'all got to understand he was like a minus 250 to minus 275 favorite against Frankie Edgar. So when you're that, you know, that kind of price, I'm expecting domination. I'm expecting you to go out there and knock him out like all these other guys have been. And the fact that it was even close enough to be a split controversial or not was alarming and showed that, Hey, maybe Pedro, you know, is not, he's not declining in the sense that you're just going to come out here, touch him one time and he goes out, but you know, maybe he slowed down just a little bit. Right. Um, and then the Jose Aldo fight, I've never, I've never seen a guy like Pedro Munoz stand in the center of the octagon, you know, pull out his phone, try to get a selfie, try to get a, you know, an, try to get an autograph. And that's exactly what he was doing against Jose Aldo. You know, I mean, I get it. You grew up with a poster of Aldo on your wall, but like, bro, like that was the biggest opportunity of his career. And I really felt like, and that's not to take away from Jose Aldo's great performance, but I felt like Pedro blew that opportunity. The Dominic Cruz fight, man, started off well and just, you know, couldn't find them. You know, the volume was too much. And then the O'Malley fight, um, you know, there's some misconceptions about that fight. You know, Pedro did win the first round, but what you got to understand is, like, Pedro, you know how many, like, head strikes Pedro threw in that fight? Let me, let me pull it up real quick. Like, Pedro was literally only kicking against O'Malley. Um, let me... uh. Yeah, watch, listen to this, guys. Pedro went 0 for 9 on head strikes against Sean O'Malley. I've never seen Pedro Munoz be timid before until the O'Malley fight. And, and I truly believe had that fight played out, O'Malley was going to either stop him late or, 
or easily win the decision. You know, 30-27 on one card, 29-28 on the other two. Um, so I, I'm under the assumption that Pedro is slowly but surely kind of heading on his way out. And Chris Gutierrez, look, he's not free of his flaws, you know. Went to a split decision with Felipe Colares, but, like, how the fuck was that a split decision, man? Two judges had it 30-27 for, for Gutierrez, which was the correct score. And then one random judge, Rick Winter, scored it 29-28 for Colares, which I just, for the life of me, don't understand. Um, It's just the output is kind of lower on the Pedro Munoz fight. I mean, on the on the Chris Gutierrez side, so that's what I'm worried about. But how they match up, I mean, I do think, I mean, I love the stance switching from Gutierrez. I love the fans. I like the size for the weight class. The takedown defense has gotten a lot better. And this is a fight that's going to prove if he's either ready to make it to the top 10 or not. This is a litmus test for him. So I'm going to go with Chris Gutierrez to pass this test. A couple of years ago, I might have been interested in Pedro, but I, I've kind of noticed, you know, based off based off the Frankie fight, based off the the Aldo, the Cruz, and the O'Malley fights, I kind of think Pedro's slowing down a little bit. And I think this is the perfect time to catch him. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Chris Gutierrez to get the biggest win of his career and move up the ranks. Now, kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between the legend Clay Guida. He's tw- he's 38 and 22, <laughs> taking on Rafa Garcia, who's 15 and 3. Guys, it's not Rafa Garcia. It's Rafa Garcia. He's Mexican, not Brazilian. I was shocked people were calling him Rafa. Like, what? Like that, That's a Brazilian thing, y'all. Currently, they got it. Rafa Garcia, minus 275. Comeback on Clay is plus 210. Yeah, these odds suck, you know, unfortunately. Even if I'm leading, even if I'm picking Rafa to win the fight, these odds absolutely suck. Uh, you know what I'm saying, man? I mean, minus 275 when Rafa has shown, you know, it's not that he's got cardio issues. It's that maybe he's, he's had a little bit of pacing issues in some fights, like the Chris Gutzmacher fight, he fell into that same trap a lot of people fall into, kind of like Joe Lozon fell into against Chris Gutzmacher, where you know the guy's kind of a walking punching bag, but he's super durable, and you get kind of carried away. You're like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm landing every single thing I, I, I throw. Like, I'm gonna just get this guy out of there, man. And like, then he's still there, and then you've emptied the tank, and then then he takes over. So I think that's kind of what happened there. But I think that he's kind of addressed some things. He's got a little bit more octagon experience under his belt. He's got more, you know, like I said, he's accrued more minutes inside the octagon since then. So I feel like now is a good time um, for him to come out here and get the biggest win of his career. But listen, Guida's a legend, man. Guida's a guy that beat RDA, beat Nate Diaz, beat BJ Penn, beat Anthony Pettis. Like this guy, I mean, he's the fucking man. You know, my boy, uh, Clay Guida's balding really fucking badly, and he refuses uh, to let go of that hair. What, y'all, y'all will see what I'm talking about when y'all watch the fights tomorrow. It's like, yo, it's like Clay. Like, what happened, bro? Like, they they never know when to say when, and uh, <laughs> it, it'd be nice to see Clay finally shave that head, man. Um, but look, all bullshit aside, man, um, I think that you know we're at the point now how old is my boy clay guida he's gotta be in his 40s right he's 41 you understand what i'm saying he's turning 42 later this year you think that rafa can possibly outpace him possibly submit him um 
I'm just gonna go with the more youthful, younger guy here. Uh, so yeah, y'all, should I tell a little funny story? I hope my delivery is funny and it doesn't just sound funny in my head, but like, so back when I was in high school, um, and Clay Guida, <laughs> Anton said Clay needs a hairline intervention. Yeah, from one bald dude to another, like, come on, my man time no when to say when so when i was uh when i was in high school right and clay guida fought nate diaz he fought nate diaz at ufc 94 george st pierre actually i wasn't i i had already graduated high school so i think i was, I was like in early college or something um <laughs> so i always love how how bruce buffer um introduce clay guida and man i wish I, I wasn't just coming off you know being sick so i could like really project my voice and do the the bruce buffer imitation so like it used to be like bruce buffer would be like guida! you know what i mean i'd say it much louder if my voice was still there but yeah it's like so intense and uh, so me and my buddies like we were like I guess just got out of high school. We were dumbasses, still are, right? But like, nah, we'd like drive around. Like my buddy Murdoch, who like is the best driver of all of us. He's the dude that can like, you know, go 140 miles per hour without crashing, right? It's just he's he's crazy, right? When we need to be in a high speed situation, we call up my boy Murdoch. So Murdoch was driving. I was in the passenger seat. One of my boys was in the back, and we'd like pull up to cars park next to us we'd roll down the windows and we'd be like <laughs> and uh it would you know it'd just be this funny thing because we were these fucking stupid kids and um one time we did it and this one guy was like the fuck did you just say and then he just started chasing us and we got into a fucking high speed chase and we were going through like residential neighborhoods it was crazy we eventually lost him but like i'll never forget that um yeah, hopefully my delivery was good enough for y'all to get the gist of that. It was it was it was it was great times. Um but anyways, back to this. I'm gonna go Rafa Garcia for the win. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between TJ Brown. He's 17 and 9, taking on Bill Senor Perfecto Algio, who's 16 and 7. Currently, they got it. Bill Algio minus 210. The comeback on TJ Brown is plus 170. Um you know, historically speaking, Bill Algio is a guy I like to uh, back as a dog. You know, I don't really like to bet him at minus 210 odds. Um, you know, I like Bill Algio. He's, you know, he's like six foot one for the featherweight division. He's funky. He's just like, he's like Gumby, man. He's like hard to get out of there. He's hard to deal with. Um, and he's a guy that you start to gas out against a guy like Bill Algio and uh, he will let you know about that. He will ca he will absolutely capitalize on that. Um, it, you know, and when he gets taken down, he pops right back up. You know, fights with his hands down, has an unorthodox style, some funky kicks, experienced. I like Bill Algio. Um, it's just that, you know, he's not the most physical guy despite his height. You know, he, like I said, he can be taken down, and he will be taken down in this fight. Uh, TJ Brown, the thing about him is he's actually pretty skilled, um it's just like he'll be like dominating a fight and then he's a guy that like will get choked out with a guillotine from side control against uh jordan uh griffin 
Uh, TJ Brown's a very skilled guy, good calf case, good wrestling. He'll be dominating a fight, and then he'll just randomly get dropped. He's been dropped in multiple fights, so he's just not really a guy you can trust. But he does have a path here. Like I said, Bill Algio's wrestling, not the best. Uh, TJ Brown's not a bad fighter at all. It's just he ain't, he, ain't, he ain't the brightest when he gets in there, and he makes a lot of suspect uh, decisions. And I could see him coming out here winning the first round and then diving into a guillotine in the second round or some shit like that or getting dropped somewhere along the way, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Bill Algio. I think he's got good volume, and I think he's the smarter guy here. It's just Bill's a guy I like to back at dog odds, not a, a minus two-something price, especially when his opponent does have a path to victory despite his opponent not being the brightest. But, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll pick Bill. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a number one contender fight between Brandon Raw Dog Royval. He's fourteen and six, taking on Mateusz Nikolaou, who's nineteen and two. Currently, they got it. Mateusz Nikolaou minus two twenty-five. The comeback on Raw Dog is plus one eighty. So, great fight, amazing fight. Um, you know, I've been high on Mateusz Nikolaou a long time. I know y'all old school half the battle fans remember the infamous max bet we had on Mateusz Nikolaou uh, against Louis Smolka. And, you know, I heard someone talking about how you shouldn't put any stock in the interviews. And, okay, I get, look, interviews are not the be-all, end-all, of course. And I was going to pick, I was going to bet Mateusz Nikolaou against Louis Smolka regardless. But... The interview took it from like risking five units to, to like risking six units. And the reason why was like uh, Louis Smolka did this interview with Frank Trigg and he was talking about how he would like drink himself to sleep and, and do all these things and, you know, basically admitting he's a raging alcoholic. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, so it's not just a five unit bet, it's a six unit, <laughs> you know, it's not just a regular max bet, it's a. You know what I'm saying? It's load up all our accounts, right? Let's uh let's hit up our local guy too. You know what I mean, man? Uh, so that's one of my you know most fond moments um, betting this sport. Mateusz Nikolaou over Louis Smolka. Um, so listen, Mateusz Nikolaou, very fundamentally sound. He's a black belt in jujitsu. He's a nasty black belt in jujitsu. His boxing is something he's been working on you know, religiously for the last few years, it's been getting a lot better. He's got the calf kick game used to train at Novo and Yao back in the day. So it was takedown defense is on point. You already know about that. Um, the only issue I've had with Mateusz Nikolaou over the years is he might be a little bit on the chinnier side. Like the times that he's lost, he's been knocked out, not just against Dustin Ortiz, but even on the regional scene too, back in the day. So that's the only thing you got to worry about. Cause Roy Vall, I mean, Raw Dog is going to come right after him. If Raw Dog fights like Raw Dog always fights, he's going to create chaos. He's going to go right after you. And there might be openings for him to catch Nikolaou. The only issue with the style that Royval has is he, on the other hand, is also going to leave a bunch of openings for the sharp counters of Mateus Nikolaou for an opportunistic takedown, whatever the case may be. So Mateus Nikolaou is by far, I want it, it, it's, look, he is the more technically sound and the safer fighter. But Brandon Royval is not bad. It's just Brandon Royval, he makes that conscious effort to just go balls to the wall, and that's why we love him. And to make that work in the top five of the flyweight division 
has been impressive. Like you saw what he did to Kai Car of France, um, even in his UFC debut against Tim Elliott. Like the dude, dude is very, very legit. But he's also been dropped in his fair share of fights. Also, his takedown defense isn't quite the best. Now he's a good black belt. But the thing is, submitting Nick Lau, that, that would be quite the feat to submit a guy like Nick Lau. So I don't see it happening. So I just kind of see Nick Lau just being, you know, the, the smarter kind of, you know, going to be kind of better at executing his game plan. But you can't count out a guy like Brandon Royval. I mean, like, even if you watch that LFA title fight he had, um, against um, what's the guy's name? Uh, against Teddy Bear, Nate Williams, not not my friend Nate Williams, the other Nate Williams, uh, Teddy Bear. Like the fight starts, he literally just runs at him, flying knee, and then they get into this crazy scramble. Like this dude creates chaos. You love to see it. So he's gonna have to do that here because I think if he tries to have a technical, slow-paced, uh, you know, battle with with, with Nick Lau, he's losing that all day. But even but again, even if he does his chaotic you know, goes to his chaotic tendencies, the openings are going to be there for the Nicolau counter. So, man, and I get, it's always funny when we talk about the flyweights, how like, um, y'all remember how critical I was with Demetrius Johnson? A lot of people gave me shit for that. And one of the reasons, and I hate how this is going to sound, but like, y'all remember when they cut Mateus Nicolau, right? They cut him off just one loss. And because they were thinking of getting rid of the flyweight division because they had a champ that, you know, opted to fight Ray Borg instead of TJ Dillashaw. Like, didn't, just didn't bring the, the, the fans weren't invested when he fought, just to put it lightly. And it's sad because DJ is actually one of the most skilled fighters in the history of the sport. But I always thought that Mateus Nicolau is a guy that could have fought for the belt. Um, so now, you know, since that point, we've had these badass champs like Henry Cejudo, Davison Figueredo, Brandon Moreno. So flyweight is booming again. You love to see it because with those guys as champs, Nikolai would have never got cut just off of one loss. But they were trying to get rid of the division because of the stunts that Demetrius was pulling outside the cage, man. So it's good that Mateus is back, and I think he does have that title run in him. I think he will be Brandon Rawdog Royval, and I think he's going to secure a title shot against the winner of Pantoja and Moreno. So I think it's finally time for Mateus Nikolaou to claim his title shot. I think he does so Saturday night against a guy that we all love and respect in Brandon Rawdog Royval. I mean, such a beast. A guy that, to, like I said, to have that style and make it to the top five, like, hey, like you're a bad boy, you know what I'm saying? So all respect. I'm gonna go Nikolau. Now, next up in the 205 pound division, we got Ed Herman. He's 24 and 15, taking on Zach Cummings, who's 24 and seven. Currently, they got it. Zach Cummings minus 225. The comeback on Ed Herman's plus 180. So this is a spot where you know both these guys are kind of on their way out. Could be a double retirement, and. You know, Zach Cummings, like I was alluding to earlier in the show, he used to be that guy that you could hit with that baseball bat, and he's going to smile in your face. He's going to keep walking forward. Nasty guillotine chokes. You actually saw him drop uh, Diki Rico with a big head kick. Um, it's just my issue with Zach Cummings. You know, the output's on the lower side. He's kind of losing these fights until he wins them. Um, and then also... You know, him moving up to 205, you know, he had a stint at 70, a stint at 85. Now at 205, um, he was looking kind of fat in those pictures, but 
Yeah, the funny thing is Ed Herman looked fatter than him on the scales. And all respect to Ed Herman, true G. What what an OG man, a guy I've been watching. How fucking long have I been watching this guy, bro? I mean, I've literally been watching Ed Herman <laughs> since I was a kid. Um, and y'all got to pull up his uh, first round knockout over Tim Crater. Y'all got to pull up his heel hook over Kyle Noak. Um, and if y'all want to know a little tidbit, so you know how his fight against Jake Shields was a no contest. Jake Shields tried to say he, he was taking diuretics, but that was bullshit. Jake Shields was uh, injecting needles in his ass. You know what I'm saying? That's why that fight got overturned. But oh, and if you want to see a fucking awesome fight, like an underrated gem, y'all got to see Ed Herman versus Trevor Smith. That fight was bananas, man. Like those two were going at it, man. So yeah, definitely pull up uh, Ed Herman versus, uh, versus Trevor Smith, man. That fight was epic at the time. Epic at the time in... 2013 so this guy's given us a lot of good memories and his fight with mike rodriguez <laughs> so officially it's a kimura win for ed but if you watch the fight mike actually stops him with a knee to the body um and ed goes down and then the ref for some reason calls it a low blow and ed being the vet he is was like well, I'm not going to argue against that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not I'm not going to say anything. You called it a low blow. We'll, we'll run with it. The fight continues, and then Ed Herman goes on to stop Rodriguez via Camora. It was absolutely insane. Um, So, yeah, this is tough, bro. This is tough. Um, Because it's like both guys are slow as hell. Who's the slower guy? Uh, both guys talking about retirement. Um. Zach is the younger guy here. He's also not the natural light heavyweight. I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I'll pick Zach, but you know, at this price, it's dog or pass. For me, it's a pass. So yeah. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Piera Rodriguez. She's nine and zero, taking on Jillian Robertson, who is eleven and seven. So it's Venezuela versus Canada. And for y'all that don't know, Jillian dropped a weight class for this fight um a lot of people were wondering how she was gonna look on the scales i mean she was always a small flyweight so i didn't think it was gonna be an issue and it wasn't an issue at all um and basically the issue with jillian robertson is the same issue it's been her entire career like if you go back to the ultimate fighter eddie alvarez laid it out pretty well i mean eddie alvarez said you know if she can't get her jujitsu going you know she checks out of fights and that tends to be the case for the most part um, and you know, as a jujitsu guy myself, there's a reason we do jujitsu. It's because we don't want to get hit in the face. I have no problem admitting that. I don't want to get punched in the face and neither does Julian Robertson. So the fact that she's been able to last this long in the UFC, submit a bunch of people, I think she might even hold the record for most submissions in women's history, uh, which is crazy considering Rhonda, Amanda, all of them are in there too, you know, uh, you know, in, in the history books. So pretty dope. Pierre Rodriguez, you know, she is a little bit green. But, but she's got that mean streak about her, um, trains with the right people, and she's been making incremental improvements every single fight. You know, she's 30 years old, so she's entering her prime. Um, it just comes down to the same thing that every Jillian Robertson fight comes down to. If you can stuff Jillian Robertson's takedowns, she's not going to have an answer on the feet, and that's the bottom line. Um, but Jillian, of course, is always live. If she takes your back, I mean, if I'm betting on Pierre, I definitely know on Jillian Robertson taking back mount, taking full mount, 
going for submission attempts. It is what it is. So, yeah, it's the it, same dynamic as every Jillian fight. I'm going to go Piera to stuff these takedowns and, and kind of bust her up standing. But will I be surprised if Jillian takes her down and does her thing? No, I won't. Um, she's been making it work for years. So another pass for me, but I'll go Piera Rodriguez. Now, this one I'm very excited to talk about. And, y'all, do me a huge favor. Smash that like button for me. And if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And also, I've been dropping a new series called The Technique of the Week. Um, if you go on my YouTube channel and you hit the videos tab, that's where you can find it. Last week, I covered the Darce choke. This week, I covered the Anaconda choke because I know a lot of people don't know the difference between the between the two. So um, I was very happy to explain to y'all what the difference is and make it just very understandable step by step and explain it in under a minute so you don't have to sit here for a million hours like you do on this show right um and, and you you get the gist of it clear concise so y'all check out my technique of the week segment uh, like i said just click the videos tab and smash smash the like button on those two and and leave me some comments like let me know what submissions you want you want to see me cover on there or anything else you want to learn about and tell me what y'all think because i think it could be a cool little series i do so definitely check out my uh technique of the week dropping every friday uh now back to this next up in the lightweight division we got a match between lando venata he's 12 and 2 excuse me he's 12 6 and 2 taking on danielle zelhuber who's 12 and 1 Currently, they got it. Danielle Zilhuber, minus 125. The comeback on Lando Venata is plus 105. So um, let's talk about Lando first. I mean, Lando's a guy that I think his nickname is very fitty, groovy. The guy's got a lot of swag out there. It's nice to watch him fight. You know, he's got spin kicks. He's got big punches. Actually, a former D1 wrestler. But there is an asterisk in that. Now, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe what the deal was, he got accepted to the D1 uh, program at his school. He like, he like he made the D1 wrestling team. But then I think he dropped out of the school and never never actually competed. But he still made the D1 wrestling team. So that's badass. Um, but he's a guy that he kind of goes balls to the wall. And then kind of tends to fade as fights progress. Uh, very susceptible to calf kicks, and um, but he's experienced as fuck, man. I mean, he had two very honest fights with Bobby Green. He's been in there with much better guys. Um, he's been losing to much better guys, but but it, that experience counts for something. And then with Danielle Zellhuber, you know, coming into the UFC, I had very high expectations for this guy. I mean, his regional scene, he was running through guys, flying knees, calf slicers, knockouts with punches, triangle chokes, spinning kicks, the whole ordeal. Had that amazing fight on Contender Series. And then he gets into the UFC as that fight with Trey Ogden. And Trey Ogden didn't beat uh, Daniel Zellhuber. Daniel Zellhuber beat Daniel Zellhuber. Um, I don't know if y'all recall a fight between uh tyla santos you know the chick that almost dethroned valentina and mara romero barella so tyla santos made her debut against mara romero barella and i and i bet tyla santos at minus 150 there and if they ever fought again and you gave me minus 150 on tyla santos against mara romero barella i'd bet her again but she literally did the exact same thing that daniel zelhuber did against uh trey ogden just kind of pulled that debut stunt where it wasn't even about Tyler getting beaten up or Zell Huber getting beaten up. It was just about them literally doing nothing. It's like when you're stuck in that bad dream and and you can't run fast enough or, or you can't land the punch or just 
you know you just feel like you, you guys know what i'm talking about it was, it was like one of those like it was that debut stunt man even ignacio bahamandas against john mcdessey was a debut stunt despite it being a fight of the night like you, you mean to tell me if ignacio and mcdessey ran it back that ignacio wouldn't spinning wheel kick his head in the fifth row because i think he would you know so debut stunts happen all the time and now think about this with tyla santos after she pulled that debut stunt against um mara mirabarella her next fight she fought molly mccann and i made the mistake of just completely you know disregarding all the work i put in going into the barella fight and how i had capped her and how i rated her skills just because i was so pissed off that she that she let me down in the debut but then she went out there against mccann and showed what i saw on the regional scene you know and i think that there's a chance that the same thing happens here whereas el huber look he got the, the the debut rookie stunt behind him and now it's time to fight and the thing about lando is lando is going to make him fight you know trey ogden was kind of running away a oh, little baby kicks and I, no one got damaged in that fight that fight wasn't even about trey ogden looking like a contender that was just trey ogden threw two kicks and lando uh, and uh zell huber threw zero you know that's an exaggerated example but y'all get my point so here i expect uh zell huber to actually show what i saw on his regionals show what i saw on uh on his contenders fight and i think i'm willing to give him one last chance just because i made that the mistake of not doing that with tyla you know like i said the barella fight i mean you can like you can watch that fight and be like yo what the fuck is this like she's staring at her it's like she doesn't even want to be in there like what is like what is going on she like refuses to throw a punch um and then the next fight and then the next subsequent fight she just runs through everyone until she gets to a title shot against valentina um so here was el huber um i don't want to just put all the research i did on zell huber where i came to the conclusion that this guy is a bright prospect the guy is someone that has potential you know could be a top 15 guy in like four or five years from now like that's where i thought his talent level was at not to mention the physical attributes he's a six foot one light lightweight with a 77 inch reach lando's coming up from featherweight lando's been yo-yoing back and forth between 55 and featherweight never a good thing lando historically gasses um so zach brought up a good point he says hope you wait till you see him again before you bet him yeah and that's a valid point however zach you got to understand this he's only like minus 125 right now it's like it could be perceived as a buy low spot because if he comes out here and mops Lando Venata, well, his very next fight he's gonna go he's gonna go right back to being minus two fifty, minus three hundred, and I'll never get that minus one twenty five line again. So it's really about: Am I willing to give this kid a second chance? Am I willing to you know chalk that debut to a debut rookie stunt and believe in you know? how high i rated him going into that fight give him this one last chance and, and see what happens so i'm gonna go with uh was el huber you know i think that the first round lando look lando's dangerous that first round man always is but i think as the fight progresses that's where i kind of think that uh zell huber is going to kind of chop him down with those low kicks maybe go upstairs with something um zell huber's gotten a lot better about getting back up from the takedowns um so it's yeah it's gonna be a it's gonna be a real fight for sure lando always brings it win lose or draw but i think zell huber does have the goods 
to win this fight. It's just about are you willing to give him a second chance? And I understand if you're not, um, but I think I am because I made that mistake of not giving Tyler Santos a second chance, and, and I missed out on a lot of money. Um, Zach says he looked like a damn near head in, uh, deer in headlights. Exactly, he he did. But so did Tyler Santos against Mara Romero Barella, who's fucking terrible, right? Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give the kid one last chance, you know? And if he loses, I got no one to blame but, uh, but myself. But it's just like I was so high on him going into that fight, and, like, I can't just look past what I saw coming into it. Like, I, I did recognize the talent. I did recognize the potential. It's just about putting it together now. So, you know, you got the debut stunt behind you. You got the UFC jitters behind you. Come out here and perform to the best of your abilities. Now, if he's just a fraud, then you guys know me. I, I'm not going to, like, if he comes out here and he does a fraudulent performance, a fraudulent performance the second time out, I'm not going to sit here and defend it and be like, oh, but I was on the value side, or any bullshit. I'll, I'll be like, you know what? I was just wrong about this kid. I got no problems admitting it, but I want to give him. I got. I want to give him one, one, one more chance. So that's what I'm gonna do. So Zell Huber for the win. And next up in the strawweight division. Um, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Bruna Brazil. She's eight and two, taking on uh, Denise Gome, who is six and two. Currently, they got it. Bruno Brazil minus 160. The comeback on Denise Gome is plus 130. So interesting because it opened exactly where it's at right now. But at one point it was like minus two something Bruno Brazil. So a lot of actions come in on Denise Gome. And I get it. I mean, you know, you guys want to see like, is Bruno really that prospect? Because Denise Gome, Denise Gome ain't bad either, man. I mean, like she's had like her fight with uh, Milana Dudieva, man, like she had to overcome some adversity in that spot. Which that's kind of sketchy in itself because I don't I don't know if y'all remember Milana Dudieva from the UFC, but like, let's just put it this way, man. Like she went what like one and three or one and two in the UFC, and she lost to Mara Barella. She like that's that's not a good look, um, you know. So for someone like that to have some success, I don't know if that's a good look. And then with Bruno Brazil early on in her career. You know, the takedown defense wasn't quite the best, but I will give her a lot of credit. She has been patching that part of her game up, and she's got a very nice kicking game. Um, she's athletic. She's big for the weight class and seems like someone to look out for. And, you know, she's won fights via head kick like you saw on Contender Series. You know, has knocked multiple people out, which you don't often see in the women's weight classes. So I feel like she's someone uh, to look out for for sure. Um, you know, I could see this being an honest fight if if Denise if Denise Gome can kind of take away the you know kind of crowd the kicker and kind of just make it like a brawl, kind of just make it a dirty, ugly fight. I think she's got a chance there, but I think that Bruno Brazil much more talented, um, higher ceiling, and uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Bruno Brazil to to come out here and, and win this fight. If Denise if Denise uh, if Denise Gome had the output on the feet of her girlfriend Carl Hosa, who's got some of the best output in, in the women's in women's history, right? Then it'd be a different story. But she fights nothing like her girlfriend. So and she's kind of on the smaller side. We'll go Bruno Brazil for this one. 
And next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Gaston Bolaños. He's six and three. Six and three making her USC debut. Taking on Aaron Phillips, who's 12 and four. Currently, they got it. Gaston Bolaños minus 190. The comeback on Aaron Phillips is plus 155. Um, yeah, this is this would not even be an NFC main event, this this fight right here, man. Like this dude Bolaños got cut from Bellator and like he lost the bums in Bellator. Like, I get it. He's got some credentialed kickboxing background, but bro, this ain't kickboxing. We don't fight in a ring. We fight in a cage. We don't fight with 16 ounce gloves. You fight with four ounce gloves, man. Um, and yeah, he lost to the drummer from tool, Daniel, uh, Danny Carey. Um, if y'all know, if you know, you know, but then they rematch, he knocked him out in the rematch, but I don't even think he looked that good either. I feel like he's still kind of developing his style, transitioning from kickboxing to MMA. Um, and Ward on the street is his ground game is atrocious. And I'm not even just talking about in the fights I've seen, I'm talking about like at the gym, like, you know, you, you just give him a little push. He's going to fall over and then he's not going to get back up. And if you watch that fight against Danny Carey, when the first one, like Danny Carey didn't even need to take him down to submit him. Gaston Bolaños threw a combo, ducked his head right into a guillotine. Like, and, and, and it was against a bum, man. It was against, like, I'm talking like a hand-picked opponent, a hand-picked jobber for him to go out there and, and take care of. And, yeah, it didn't happen, man. And, you know, and then he lo- and then he lost to Solo Hatley. You know, Hatley is that guy that Austin Lingo finished in under a minute, man. So it's just, Bolaños doesn't belong. Uh, but the, the thing about it is, you know, his kickboxing is okay. You know, people uh, act like this is like some fucking Alex Pereira or Izzy level kickboxer, or a Giga Chikat. Like, come on, dude. It, it it ain't like that at all. You know, he's an all right kickboxer transitioning to MMA. Um, and then with Aaron Phillips, I've known about this guy a long ass time. Now his nickname is the Dragon. Before that, his nickname was the Model. But you've been watching him as long as I have. Before that, his nickname was Head Kicks. And I even bet him against uh, Sam Cecilia back in 2014. Lost that, got out grappled badly there. Um, but man, he's fought such better level competition, uh, such better level of competition. He's been in there with Chris Gutierrez. Now, granted, got fucked up badly with leg kicks in that fight. And then he fought my buddy Devante Sewell, and that was a disgusting hometown robbery. Like my boy Devante Sewell beat Aaron Phillips, and they gave it to Phillips because you know he. It, uh, Devante took the fight in Phillips' uh, hometown. But I'll tell you what, man, like in his current UFC run, he's been in there with Jack Shore. And did did he fight? He didn't fight Kyler Phillips, right? No, he just fought uh, Jack Shore. Yeah. Um, you, y'all want to know something really funny? Okay, so he's had a lot of canceled fights, Aaron Phillips. So he's had canceled fights against Yanez, Cameron Ellis, Chris Moutinho, and Jonathan Martinez. Guess which one of those he pulled out of, and guess which one of those he didn't pull out of. So Adrian Yanez and Jonathan Martinez, those are the ones uh, Aaron Phillips pulled out of. But Cameron Ellis and Chris Moutinho, uh, he didn't pull out of those. You know what I'm saying? They pulled out of those. You know, so uh, it, this is tough. This is because it's like Aaron Phillips is more established in MMA, but he's been out for a long time. It is such a low-level fight. I mean, is the guy finally due for his first UFC win? I kind of think Bolaños doesn't have any business in the UFC, but if he's ever going to win one, maybe this is it. So let's see. So heads is Bolaños. Tails is uh, Phillips. Tails. 
We're going to go with Aaron Phillips here for the upset. Now, last but not least, in the Bantamweight division, we got Jocelyn Edwards. She's 12-4, and four, taking on Lucia Pujalova, who's 14-7. Currently, they got it. Lucy, minus 140. The comeback on Jocelyn Edwards is plus 115. So, Lucia actually had... Uh, you know, a stint back in the day, and she had an incredible fight, an incredible war with Irena Aldana, where it was like one of the best fights of that year. But after that, like that fight took such a toll on her that she she was never the same after that, man. I mean, like never the same to the point where she's getting choked out by Antonina Shevchenko. Like that is not good at all. Goes back to the regional scene, you know, wins uh five of six, lost to Talita Bernardo along the way. And comes back to the UFC, gets a finish over Yana and Wu. Now she's up there against Jocelyn Edwards. So there's good things about Jocelyn Edwards, and there's very bad things about Jocelyn Edwards. The good thing about Jocelyn Edwards is homegirl's got some output. I mean, in that Pasquale fight, she landed 164 significant strikes. Subsequent fight against Gian Kim landed 101 significant strikes. Um, it's just that her takedown defense is absolutely atrocious. Um, and Lucia Pudalova back in the day used to be a striker, but as you saw in that last fight against Yan and Wu, went out there and actually hit two takedowns. So it's not going to take much for Lucia to take down uh, Jocelyn. And I'm not even saying that Lucia can't have success standing. I'm just saying that if there's a path to victory for Jocelyn, Jocelyn is proven to be able to put up, you know, good volume, good output um, for this division, just for any division, like 160. 164 significant strikes landed in a three-round fight that she did two fights ago. Hey, those are beautiful numbers. So uh, on the feet, I think it could be close, but I think the difference is that Lucia Pudalova, she's been adding more takedowns to her game, does not take much to hold down or take down Jocelyn. So that should be the difference, but I got zero interest in betting this fight. And you can make the argument for dog or pass, but pass for me. All right, so we'll talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Then I'm down to answer any questions y'all might have for me so if you if, if you do have questions for me you can leave them uh in the comments now also y'all do me a huge favor smash the like button hit the subscribe button after this is over leave me a comment and then also go check out my technique of the week uh video series that i've started doing and let me know what y'all think about that so the fight to watch i mean i think y'all know i mean we could go with the main event Allen versus Holloway. We can go with the co-main event, Billy Q versus Edson, but I'm going to go with Chris Gutierrez versus Pedro Munoz. For a long time, I've been saying that these are the two hardest kickers in the Bantamweight division, and now they get to go to war, and this is a, a crossroads fight because with Pedro Munoz, he loses this, then, I mean, he's going to... Then we're getting pretty close to the end, right? Like, And with Chris, this is your chance to prove like, hey, I'm ready to go up to the top 10. I'm ready to make my run right now. And another thing, after his fight with Frankie Edgar, he asked for Pedro Munoz. So maybe maybe he sees something that he wants to exploit here. So for that reason, Chris Gutierrez versus Pedro Munoz is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is Mateus Nicolau. Listen, this is a guy that I've been saying since his first UFC stint back when he fought Luis Smolka that could absolutely fight for a UFC title one day. And now you finally got to that title eliminator. And you got a guy in Royval who is going to come right after you, who's going to create chaos, who's going to test you. And let's see if Mateus is ready to finally make that leap and finally get his elusive UFC title shot. So for that reason, Mateus Nicolau 
is my fighter to watch. Well, guys, I truly appreciate it. Um, if you like, I said, if y'all got any questions, now's the time. If not, I'm getting out of here. Um, so grateful, you know. And, and again, sorry about the late stream. Like I said, I've been sick all week, but I didn't want to leave y'all hanging. So better late than that. Better late than never. Um, and also thanks to all y'all that reached out to me and asked me how I was doing. Um, yeah. So okay. I'm going to start getting to some of these comments, man. My boy Walla Walla said, just caught that Anaconda Technique video reminding me you're about to be live. Have a good one, boss. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, um, so the first two techniques of the weeks I did were uh, the Darce Choke and the Anaconda Choke. So I know a lot of people don't know the the difference between the two, so I hope that I explain what the difference is. And yeah, yeah make sure you all check that out on my on my channel here and subscribe. Let me see what else y'all got for me. Um, PFL thoughts for tonight. Man, I thought that props to all y'all that got in on Shane Burgos at Dog Money. Y'all flipped the line. So if you took the Dog Money, there you did your job, man. I think that Shane is going to look better at 55 than at 45 because, um, you know, he was cutting a lot of weight and that might have contributed to him getting dropped in a lot of fights that scary knockout loss against uh you know uh edson barbosa back in the day i think he's gonna look a lot better at 55s and also there's an interview that came out with oam talking about how after uh after he uh you know won the million dollars that you know he's not as motivated he like he was motivated for a couple of days and he was like i don't really care anymore so this might be a good spot for shane burgos um and then other pfl th uh thoughts let's see um uh howish manfield versus martinez is a great fight um clay collard i mean how can you not watch a clay collard fight like come on man you know natan schulte he's like the justin gaethje of the pfl so fuck yeah um yeah so there's some really good fights on there donnie brooks said he need a doggo cameo leo where are you at leo come here my man come here hold on let me move your comment so i can get him on here there he is. There, there's my boy Leo. You know what I'm saying? What's up, Leo? Huh? Being a good boy. You want to jump up here and say hi to me? Huh? You want to come up here? Yeah, I fucking love this guy, man. This, this is my boy right here. And my my other boy Oscar is chilling on the couch. So yeah, you know we love dogs around here. Um. And then let's see what else we got. Let's see what other questions y'all got for me. Um. Bradley said, hey, Dan, isn't Billy Q a huge step down in competition for Barboza? Edson has fought only killers, and we've seen what happens with Font and Ige when these vets uh, get a step down. Yeah, I mean, of course uh, it is. It's just about, you know, Billy, you know, he's not a spring chicken. He is 34 years old. He has paid his dues. So, yeah, it's definitely a step down in competition on paper. Um, but, you know, Edson's lost to step downs in competition. Edson lost to Bryce Mitchell. Edson lost to Dan Ige, who were absolutely step downs in competition at the time. So it's just about is Billy Q catching him at the right time. But of course, Edson can have a lot of success in this fight because Billy is open to being hit. No questions asked. So but Billy's also the kind of guy that melts people, that drowns them in deep waters. And if he can do that, it's gonna be very interesting. So very, very good question, man. Um a boxer, do you think Ion can 
can be fine just to settle on top, holding him down for the majority of the fight. Well, he did he did similar things against uh, Devin Clark. It's just about I can't predict what's going through that wild man's head, you know, and you just can't trust people like that. So it comes down to if you like the number enough to take that gamble and take that risk, just knowing full well what could go wrong, right? So it's kind of one of those situations. So you know the risk. It's just a, a matter of if you're willing to take it. Um, Dirty Rex said, thanks for the show. Thank you for tuning into the show. Dogs are the fucking best. Yes, they are, Rocco. Um, Zach said, just FYI, Cummings' reason for layoff was a slip disc and back surgery. He was bedridden. Yep, yep. We know this, so it's it's going to be interesting how they both look. Um, yeah, all right, last call, last call. If not, I'm getting out of here. Guys, again, I'm so fucking grateful for you guys. Thanks for being patient with this video. It truly means a lot. And hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Leave me a comment when this is over. Share all that. And then please check out my Technique of the Week series that I'm trying to pump every single Friday. Let me know what y'all think. Also, if there's a specific technique that you'd like to see, you'd like to learn about, just let me know. Because I, I know, like I said, the reason I did Darson Anaconda to start off with is because a lot of people have always wondered what the difference is between a Darson and Anaconda. And I explained it. So um, I'm happy to break down like any kind of question. It doesn't matter if you train or not. Like even if you don't train, but you still just want to know more about the techniques of what you're watching when you see it, when you watch the fights or a jujitsu uh, tournament, whatever the case may be, I'm happy to explain that kind of stuff, you know, and it helps me too, because it, it helps me like teaching helps you get better at the techniques. Um, so uh, I love doing it. So yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So I think that's it guys. Thank you so much. Truly appreciate it as always. Uh, y'all enjoy the fights. Y'all take care, you know, take care of yourself and someone you love. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.